0: Wise men follow him, they rose again, wise men follow him, thank God. Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show and the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 86.1 FM in Westbrook, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. Well, you were hearing this on Saturday. December twelfth, twenty fifteen. And beautiful day. Partly sunny, high near forty three, west wind around nine miles an hour. Saturday night mostly cloudy, low around thirty four. Not even a frost in December. West west wind three to five miles an hour. Sunday, mostly sunny, high near forty one. Northwest wind three to five miles an hour. Sunday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 30, light northeast wind. And then Monday, chance of rain, cloudy, with a high near 36, east wind 3 to 6 miles an hour, chance of precipitation 40%. It's pretty unusual this time of year to have a low of around 34, which is tonight, actually, 34 and Friday morning, it was 42 at sunrise. Foggy, real foggy. They had a fog warning. So, old man winter's taking a snooze, just like they did last year. You know, we had a couple of vigorous snowstorms in the end of deer season, early December, and then didn't, nothing much happened until January. And then old man winter woke up, shook himself off, and says, Oh, i got to catch up. And we got blasted right into April. So take advantage of this stuff. Get outdoors. Do some chores. Get ready for winter. I'm thinking that's. Kind of, I got a few things I got to do around the yard before winter. I have not put the four wheelers away because you can still ride all, all over the place. But there's one thing you want to be careful when you're riding the woods roads, either on a four wheeler or with a pickup. Because we get these warm mornings and uh, warm afternoons. And that frozen ground underneath the surface is uh, is an impermeable barrier. Water can't drain down through it. Water has to drain off to the sides. And the ground can get really slimy. You go around a corner and you get sideways of the vehicle real easily. Is that That's just like wet plaster of Paris. It's real slimy, no traction. You get about a half an inch of that and you start hydroplaning on a sunny day. It's a strange phenomenon. 1984, I walked across the ice on the lake during deer season. The end of, end of November, sometime there don't know the date but it was during deer season i walked across the lake and it was three to three and a half inches of ice you could just crystal clear hard blue ice and you could see the bubbles underneath the ice that's how you could tell the, the thickness of the ice and i was a long way from home if i walked around the lake i'd followed a big buck for a long time jumped him two or three times jumped a whole herd of deer he ran into a herd of deer figured he'd hide in there and uh, jumped them all. They scattered all over the place, but I couldn't get, I couldn't see the horns. All I saw was flags all over the place, but he was there. Just didn't didn't catch him at the right moment. And in order to get home, I was going to have to walk all the way around the lake. I went down and looked at it, and uh, stepped out on the ice, and started walking. I knew the water there was only about two or three feet deep. So I looked at it. and said, it's like that all the way across. I'm going to walk across. And I did. I became active in the Rotary Club, and we decided to have a sled dog race down in Lincoln, Maine. Right there on Main Street, plenty of parking. The lake is right there. You could run a sled dog race. In the second week of February... You could bring 100 vehicles, into, 100 people into town at least. It wouldn't otherwise be there. They're going to buy gas. They're going to buy food, dog food. Most people travel with their dog food. But And the other people are going to come in to watch it because there had never been a sled dog race in in uh, Lincoln. So they advertised it in the paper. Well, It wasn't a paid ad. It was just notified, you know, an article about it. People came from all over, had a fine time. But <clears throat> Christmas Day of nineteen eighty four. Let's see. Eighty five. Christmas Day of nineteen eighty five. That an all lake in Lincoln was wide open, shore to shore. It's skimmed over right now, despite the warm weather. We've okay, had Cold enough nights, the lake is skimmed over. If we get a big blow, it'll open up again. But right now it's skimmed over. But Christmas Day, 1985, it was open water all the way across the lake. That's 30 years ago. So this warm weather in December is not unusual. This is not global warming. It's just weather. And next year, it may be possible for somebody to walk across the ice during deer season, if you do that, you would be darn careful and be aware of where the moving water is because moving water erodes ice from the underside. I'll talk a little more about this in January, but, but when a lake freezes, air temperature can be 20 below zero, and the surface of the ice can be 20 below zero. The ice does conduct heat. It also conducts cold. On the bottom surface of the ice, where the ice is in contact with the water, it's 32 degrees exactly, no more, no less. It's 32 degrees. At the top, it can be 20 below zero. Now, there's a few phenomena associated with this. Primarily, if when uh, water freezes, it expands, and it continues to expand. The colder it gets, the more it expands. It's just an unusual material in that regard. So when the, when the water expands, it's got to go somewhere, and it pushes out to the side. It doesn't expand up. doesn't expand down, usually. And it just pushes out to the side. And around many main lakes, around the edge of the lake, you'll find a, a hump of earth three or four, sometimes five feet high and ten feet wide. If you've got a big round lake, this is where this is most predominant. And of course if it's rocky ledge on the shoreline you don't see this. But if it's a if it's a lake that has sand, gravel, various kinds of soil on the edge of the lake, this expanding ice mile wide, is pushing on both sides of the lake equally. And it acts like a bulldozer and it pushes on the dirt on the edge of the lake. And every year, as the ice expands, it pushes a little more on the dirt and it humps it up. And I, <laughs> I was showing a piece of land to a couple. They had a couple of kids with them. And we walking along the shore of the lake. It was Madagascar Pond in the town of Burlington. And Madagascar Pond has a. Has a quite a pronounced berm most of the way around it. You walk along there and there's this berm right along the lake shore. Behind the berm there's a some wet ground, you know, kinda of swampy alders. And then it slopes up away from the lake. And there was this hump going along the shoreline. And the wife says, What in the world caused that? you know? He says, Oh, he says, Well, he said back years ago the old timers built those along the lake, and they would they would pull logs along in the water with oxen and horses because it's easier to pull them in the water than it is on the shoreline. I thought to myself, "What a cock and bull story. I never said anything about it. I just kind of chuckled to myself that didn't happen, but that's what he could he imagined that that must be why it's there, and it was kind of funny to listen to, and I just never. Never said anything to the contrary. I just, I just enjoyed that little experience. That's not what caused it, ma'am. Not going to contradict hubby when he wants to buy a piece of land. I'll tell you. So, the price of gas is a dollar ninety-four all over Bangor. A bunch of stations, dollar ninety-four, and it's two dollars and seventy cents in Rangeley. So if anybody's coming from Rainsley down to Bangor, be sure and fill up. More likely they'll go down to Farmington or someplace to do their shopping, but but a big difference: seventy-four cents, seventy-six cents higher in Rainsley than it is in Bangor. Diesel is two twenty-nine in Biddeford, and that's up four cents. And diesel is three ten in Oakland, and there are no highest or lowest prices in di- for diesel or gas in Arista County. they just kind of doing their own thing. Now, news this morning, and I just saw Verizon is going to stop printing phone books. The law said that uh, they were required to print phone books and provide them to telephone customers. Well, more and more people are Simply disconnecting from the grid. They're just doing away with their landlines and going to cell phones. It doesn't cost you any more to call Seattle with a cell phone than it does to call the next town over. There are people in Maine, mostly old folks, that are renting telephones. You can buy a landline telephone for about twelve bucks in Walmart. And you can buy one that's portable. takes a battery, it recharges, stick it in there, and walk around the house and talking while you're doing your chores. And, and uh, there are still people renting telephones from the phone company. I don't know how many years and years that that phone's been paid for, and they're still renting the phone because they don't read the phone bill. So if you've got, a, you've got a grandparents or parents or elderly folks or Simply, rural folks that don't read about these things, tell them, check your phone bill. You should not be renting a phone. You can buy a phone in Walmart or any other discount store for the price of renting a phone for a month or two. It makes no sense to rent a phone. And you can upgrade your cell phone for not very much money, which I may do before the end of the year. At the end of the year, I usually look forward into the following year and say, what am I going to need for the next few months, business-wise? And it's better off to do it this year than it is next year, because you know, a phone is a business expense. A cell phone is a business expense. And uh, it's good to take advantage of that. That's what it's for, to encourage a business. Meanwhile, our government is discouraging business in many ways. This Trans-Pacific Trade Pact is uh, is, gonna, is coming into being. We've signed off on it. It's already being followed, despite the fact that not all the nations have signed it. There's 18 different nations at the Pacific Rim, right from Canada, U.S., Mexico, Central American countries, Peru, Chile, right around Australia, and up to Indonesia and Brunei. The Sultan of Brunei, a tiny little place that's got lots of oil, is... uh, has got just as much clout as the President of the United States in this arrangement. Sultan of Brunei, a little tiny Muslim country where all Muslims are happy for the most part because they're rich. <laughs> I mean, they've got, they're the most, the richest nation per capita in the world is Brunei. They've got a huge amount of oil and not too many people. Still have slavery, though. They, The religion recognizes slavery, says slavery is a good thing, and they want them to have more slaves. More beheadings, more mutilations, and amputations, and various other activities for infractions of the rules. That's the way it is. What happened out in California a week and a half ago, they... Uh, Used to bikers used to inhabit San, Bern, San Bernardino because it's called San Bernardu and and uh, that's what they called it. San Bernardu. all All uh, motorcycle clubs and just bikers in general hung out there, and they had some some violence from these biker gangs would would uh, run into conflicts with each other. And they had a high crime rate and relatively it was a low income town back then and uh they just you know it had a had a bad reputation and now now they're back on the map again they they were coming right to the front and encouraging business and having as much as they can in california and they uh they had that shooting in san San Bernardino. And uh, not a lot of pictures of what happened, not a lot of evidence, not a lot of knowledge about what happened. They've got these two characters who, who uh turns out, have been involved with Muslim terrorist groups for years, including grandma, don't know where the six-month-old child went, they're You want to get that child and get that child into a mosque and get the child care and start playing with little tiny AK 47s at the earliest possible moment. That's what they do in Gaza. These kids grow up wanting to be martyrs. The Jesuits have a saying give me a child until he is six and I will have him always. And it's true. You know your formative years your early formative years can determine a lot of your of your uh, fate in in the world if you will in the world they uh you know if you're if you're uh respectful of adults quiet uh, develop some self control and not not boisterous and and uh, disruptive and screaming and yelling. If that is not tolerated in your home, you're probably not going to exhibit that behavior outside the home, either in a store. And we've all seen children go berserk in a store, pitch a tantrum, laying on the floor, kicking their feet and screaming, because this, this behavior in that particular child in his home setting has been tolerated. And whether the parents realize it or not it has been it has been encouraged and rewarded. The kid gets what he wants by doing that and it's a tactic it's it's a life skill that the child is developing. If I do this, I'll get what I want. You could snub that up real quick, but there are children who are growing up in our nation. Who are simply not parented. Parenting is is a skill. It's a learned skill, and you learn it from your predecessors. You learn it from your parents, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles. There is a uh, a term that we don't hear as very much anymore, but they say a how I was spoken to, like a Dutch uncle. In Holland, the parents. We're not always the disciplinarians. The household was relatively quiet and peaceful. And if a child was straying from his expected behavior, it was up to an elder, an uncle, to take that child aside and say, Now look, Sonny, this is not tolerated in this society. If you're going to be a success in this world, you're going to have to learn to behave yourself yep I know Jimmy was pointing his finger at you or somebody was making faces at you or whatever happens in kindergarten and second grade you know just to see and get a reaction out of this kid that's going to go nuts over it if you just ignore it you learn to you learn how to deal with the little interruptions and adversities that occur in life. you learn to be self-confident self-sufficient and these are the lessons that people used to have. They used to have things like common sense and common courtesy. And really these things are not as common as they used to be. And it's a trend in our society. You just take a look at Baltimore. And that town out near Indianapolis, name escapes me at the moment, where the convicted criminal thief was was stopped by a police officer and the thief attacked the police officer and tried to choke him and the police officer had to shoot this guy. I mean, you just can't go up to a police car with the window down and reach in and start choking the police officer. You know, this is not a a good long-term plan. And the police officer defended himself and shot that character out there. It's too bad. I mean, the guy, you know, he was just ridiculous. The guy just robbed a store, you know, moments ago, half, less than a half an hour earlier. And this guy entered the answered the description and the guy that witnessed the robbery was there at the scene and saw what happened. And he told what happened. But that's not the mantra. That's not the story that fits. The story they like to hear. Because they they have a preconceived notion that people are entitled to what they have not earned. And it is a societal problem. And it wasn't brought on by that kid's teachers It wasn't brought on by the fact that he didn't have two parents and didn't have a stable home, never did. He was told throughout his life that he's entitled to things that he did not earn. Contrast that with our nation in 1941. The world was slipping into chaos in 1941. World War II began in 1938. And like World War One, we hesitated in getting into it, and that's a good thing, in my opinion. You know, every time there's a conflict, we don't need to jump in and lose a lot of people. We can influence the outcome of that conflict in other ways, other than putting troops on the ground in places like Afghanistan or Iraq. And when Saddam, <laughs> back when Saddam Hussein invaded, Kuwait, the first time, back I think it was '91. The president, George Herbert Walker Bush, sent a lady over to negotiate with Saddam Hussein. Her name was April Glaspie. April Glaspie was a middle-aged bureaucrat from the State Department, doing you know doing her assigned task, and. Muslims don't like women very much. They just, they regard women as little more than slaves and not worth a whole lot. And when they sent this woman over to negotiate with Saddam Hussein, he sat there and he listened to her. And he was told by April Glaspie that the United States was not going to take any position in Arab border conflicts. Now, there are people within our government that understand how the world works. After World War One, the Europeans got together in Brussels and they drew lines all over the Middle East as to where these national borders were going to be. It made no difference that the Kurds and the Armenians had a homeland. It depended on who the boss was at that time and which side they were on. And... The Turks had sided with the Germans, so we split up part of Turkey and we created a nation of Iraq, which is uh, which is where the hanging gardens of Babylon were thousands of years ago. King Nebuchadnezzar was there and they just drew a vertical line through the middle of the Kurdish territory and a horizontal line through the middle of it and the Kurds wound up being in in Kurdistan, Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. They split them into four separate nations, and they were one people with one common language. The Christians in Kurdistan speak the same language that Christ spoke, Aramaic. They speak Aramaic today, the same language that Christ spoke 2,000 years ago. They're a people. And right now they're on top of Mount Sinjar. We ought to be dropping them supplies. They are getting supplies. I don't know where they're getting supplies. But this week, a radio talk show host by the name of Gwen Beck, went over there. And he brought a bunch of these people out on a private jet. And they went to Slovenia, which is in Eastern Europe. It's a small country that's not very famous. And they have an old an old Christian faith. There were Christians all over the place you know, 1,700 years ago, which is 300 years after Christ died. And they had the Turkish Orthodox Church and the Syrian Orthodox Church and the Greek Orthodox Church and the Serbian Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church. Church. Lots of churches. And they heard the the church in Rome. And these... (coughs) they uh don't want them to drift too far off the track here. But these people up in what is now northwestern Iraq, the Kurds, uh, were Christians then and they're Christians now. And in Syria they had the Syrian Orthodox Church. I know some people that that go to the Syrian Orthodox Church. In fact, uh Olympia Snow, uh was uh, a member of the Greek Orthodox Church. And all of these churches were based in nations. And most of them were not evangelicals. They just had their own thing going. They stayed within the bounds of their own nations for the most part. And uh, they got together at a place called Nicaea. And they wanted to look. we got to we got to get together here. We've got to standardize the gospels and standardize, you know, our beliefs. We're all Christians here. Now let's let's get it together. And they got together at Nicaea, which is in what is now Turkey, and they had a big conference. And they had the local bishop one of the local bishops was uh Nicolos. And Nicolos had had gospels which were printed on vellum. Well, vellum is is the, the skin or the leather from a newborn calf and excuse me, sheep. And they skin the sheep and they'd shave the hair off and they would tan the leather and the result was a very thin white leather and it was expensive and they would write out the gospels in usually Greek at the time and they had the gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and uh other and the Old Testament also but they they wrote these out and they had one guy, one bishop that said, look, he says Jesus Christ was not divine. He was a one of God's children just like the rest of us. He wasn't divine. He was just a, a, a good prophet to have. This was heresy. I mean, this was a bad, bad thing. And Nicolos went over and he, he bashed that guy with a left hook and knocked him right on his butt. And this You know, this violence among the bishops was horrifying to them. I mean, they they tried to, you know, preach peace and brotherhood and all that. And here's this bishop, knocked the other guy flat on his back. So they took Nicolos, and they took his Gospels away from him and his pallium. The pallium was a very fancy cloak. And they took his Gospels and his pallium, and he threw him in in jail and left him there for a week or ten days. And there was Nicolos. Well, after about while he was in in there, the Lord appeared to him. and said, Nicolos, what are you doing here? He said, I am here because I love you, my my Lord And the Lord restored his vestments and his pallium and his gospels. And when the other bishops came to check on him to see if he had repented and agreed to mend his ways, they found him sitting there calmly reading his gospels in the Huska. And they were astonished. And they took him out and they brought him back to the conference and they... And they uh, restored his status as a bishop. And the other guy was that had got knocked on his butt, uh, lost a lot of his credibility. And what came out of that conference at Nicaea was the Nicaean Creed. And Nicholas in Turkey was called Nicholas in. Greece, and he became a saint uh it was up to the Romans to declare who was going to be a saint and who wasn't and maybe some of the other denominations declared their own saints as they went along, but they nicolos became Saint Nicholas and up in up in uh what is now Holland, they called him St. Nick. And up in Scandinavia he was called St. Nicholas, and, or Santa Claus. So Santa Claus came from, his, as his name changed and his description changed somewhat to fit the the experiences and the local languages became jolly old St. Nick. Santa Claus, basher of heretics. Go Santa. Kind of a, of a Christmas thought here. Santa Claus stood for the faith. He's not just a jolly old man with a red suit and a white beard and Christmas tree. He was the defender of the faith. Regardless of what denomination you are, that's that's a true story. And out of that came out of that came the Nicene Creed, which was a statement of beliefs. Recited in many Christian churches today. Forgotten by many other Christian churches or many other churches that that uh have have departed from Christianity, and they're more of a social club. But I think think we're going to see a reawakening in this nation. We certainly need it. Because we need to reestablish some of the traditions, some of the heritage that have been neglected. They're not lost, but they've been neglected, certainly. So, Back when we had personal responsibility and good, solid educations, uh, when a kid got out of the eighth grade, I've seen a test that was administered to, uh, to uh, students out in, I forget whether it was Indiana or Illinois, out in the farming country in the Midwest. And they were given mathematical problems and geographic problems and writing Situations. I mean, they had, to, they had to write complete sentences, grammatically correct, with correct spelling, before they got out of the eighth grade. If they wanted to go to high school, they had to have certain skills to get into high school, or they just simply stayed in the eighth grade. And I've seen copies of this test, and it became quite popular about 12, 15 years ago, and this was found at some historical society out there in the Midwest. But we had people who had skills so they could read and write clearly comprehensively and they knew their grammar they could spell, they could cipher as they used to say in the old days and when you get out of getting out of the 8th grade back then it's like graduating from high school today we graduate high school students give them a diploma and they've got a 6th or 8th grade reading ability and writing ability, and they get a high school diploma. High school diploma used to mean something. I'm on a school board, and I'm dismayed at what occurs. And Common Core is an evil thing. We're starting to make some gains against it. The parents are beginning to realize that their students and their towns are not being well served when Common Core sneaks in. In under the hem of the tent, our school board voted not to spend any dollars on Common Core. And then the following year, there was Common Core material sitting there in the schoolroom. What's that all about? Well, it turns out that some, some subversive teachers went out, and they got a grant from some agency and got this common core material, and they brought it in without authorization. And it happened. And they got away with it. Because there were not enough members on the school board to to get that stuff hauled off to the incinerator where it belongs. Well, let's see. 42 years ago, I was elected to the planning board in the town of Verona, Maine. I was working at the mill in Bucksport, and I got elected to the planning board. And they—I they, was surprised. I was only been in town for for a year, two years maybe. And they wanted me to be on the planning board. I said, "Well, you know, I'll I'll serve the town some way. Maybe I can contribute something." And Lurk had just come in. Well, along with Lurk came the main land use laws. And I've always been interested in in the woods, in the outdoors, land use. And I can remember men building a boathouse in the lake. And they would bring, they built crib works you know, for foundations. And they filled the crib, work, crib works with boulders and then once the boulders and the cribs got up above the water level, they built the boathouse. And you could pull right into the boathouse with your boat, and when it rained, the boat wouldn't fill up. And you could work on the boat indoors on a rainy day. And above the boathouse, sometimes they had a bedroom or two. So they could sleep right out over the water where it was cooler in the evening, and you could listen to the loons, and, and uh, it didn't harm the lakes a bit. That was legal. Then they said, oh, no more boathouses. Then they said, no, you've you got to build your camp 50 feet back from the lake. Then it was 75 feet. Then it was 100 feet. The shoreland zone goes back 250 feet from the lake, and there are people in the legislature and people in the environmental movement that want to have no building within a quarter of a mile of the water on Class A or Class One lakes. So if they like the lake, they don't want you to have a camp near it. A quarter a mile is a long way to hike down to to where your boat is tied up at the dock. Now the dock can't be permanent. You've got a floating dock, you've got to take it out of the water every year. But that's that's what we've come to. I think that we're gonna get back to a time after the revolution when we can build a boathouse. And you can build a camp on a ledge right there within 10 feet of the water if that's where it happens to be convenient. My camp was built 22 feet from the water. And it was legal. My camp was built in 68, and the mainland Use Act came in on the September twenty-third, 1971. So in 68, it was legal. And the guy that built it probably saw this coming because they were agitating for it in 68. And finally, they got a governor that would sign it. It reduced the value of shoreland property statewide. Maine is still vacation land. People come here. But it's not worth as much as it would be if you could do what you want. Everybody likes clean air and clean water. We don't want to pollute the lake. You know, you don't want to have a guy going back and forth on his lawn with a, with a fertilizer. You know, ten feet from the water, fertilizing his lawn so he would have a nice green lawn. That fertilizer is going in the water, and it will produce algae blooms and reduce the water quality. So you don't want to do that. Just explain to this fellow that, you know, this is not good for the lake. And he'd probably back off on that. Some people were just obstinate. And, you know, you have to deal with that. Maybe they weren't parented either. Back during World War II, you know, when people got out of high school, they had pretty good mathematics abilities. And whether they went into going to college, going to go into engineering, or science, or Whatever they were well prepared to go to college, and they were well prepared to go into industry and be and be effective valuable employees and in World War two, when it finally broke out during the three and a half years of World War two, which started on december seventh nineteen forty one and ended In 1945, we the people of the USA produced 22 aircraft carriers, eight battleships, 48 cruisers, 349 destroyers, 420 destroyer escorts, 203 submarines, 203 submarines. 34,000,000 34,000,000 tons of merchant ships, 100,000 fighters, 98,000 bombers, 24,000 transport aircraft, 58,000 training aircraft, 93,000 tanks, 250,000 artillery pieces, 105,000 mortars, 3,000,000 machine guns, twenty-five two-and-a-half million military trucks. We put 16.1 million men and women in uniform in the various armed services, invaded Africa, invaded Sicily and Italy, won the Battle of the Atlantic, planned and executed D-Day, marched across the Pacific and Europe, developed the atomic bomb, and ultimately conquered Japan and Germany in three-and-a-half years. It's worth noting that during that almost exact amount of time, the Obama administration could not even build a website that worked. Why not? Part of it is because we are creating citizens in our country that are unprepared. They're unprepared to be productive employees, and they're unprepared to be citizens. It's amazing the amount of people sitting around in a coffee shop that do not understand that when they vote for a bond for state government, they are voting for a tax increase. Many people think when you vote for a bond for for highways and bridges, that they think that's simply an instruction from the voters as to what we want the state to do with our money. They don't realize that they're voting themselves a tax increase. Well, you're taking money from some other program to put into roads and bridges. We've got a lot of waste in government at local, state, and federal levels. We've got a giant bureaucracy that is dysfunctional and incompetent. And it's bad for our nation. We're going to have Some really big changes coming up. Fox News just this week said exact words The middle class is being annihilated in our nation. Welcome to the group, Fox News. If you followed the Northern Maine Landman show, you've seen this developing over time. I'm an amateur economist. Amateur simply because I don't get paid to be an economist. That's what amateurs are. You have amateur athletes, very good at what they do, they don't get paid to do that. And we have historians, economists, engineers. There are a lot of engineers running around that do not have engineering degrees. And yeah, they're not members of the club. But they do some remarkable engineering. And uh sold a home to an engineer. Uh nice guy. Uh he's a professional. His wife is a registered nurse, she's a professional. Good, honest, hard working, solid citizens. And uh he's an aeronautical engineer. And just am just really happy to meet this guy. It's it's enjoyable to be able to talk to somebody about engineering and and technical items. He knows a lot more about that phase of engineering than I do and it's great to learn from people. there's, there's a lot of people around me that you can learn from. And I was sitting in a coffee shop one morning and with a customer who wanted to buy some real estate. We're gonna go out and look at several properties, he wound up buying one. His grandson shot an 8 point buck on the property that that he purchased 2 years ago. This year his grandson shot an 8 point buck on that land. He bought 130 acres of a beautiful log cabin. And and uh he he uh just couldn't be happier that his grandson shot that 8 point buck a couple of weeks ago on that property. But 2 years ago, when I first met this guy, he uh he sat there and we sitting there in a the coffee shop at a table, not at, the, not at the counter. And the counter happened to be full, which it often is. If it's a dreary day. The counter's going to be full. People are going to hang out there a little longer at breakfast time. And he said, you know, these are really interesting people because they're talking about various things. I said, well, some days they talk about the Hicks-Hanson model of disaggregated macroeconomic demand, and some days they talk about smelt fishing, <laughs> and he laughed. But you know, there's there's a lot of smart guys sitting around in coffee shops in the state of Maine, and they have great skills. And other people around the nation know this. The guy from Maine used to be able to go down to the Stanley Works or Winchester or Colt down in Connecticut. And walk in and say, "I'm looking for a job." And they say, "You're from Maine. What would you like to do?" Because they could do just about anything. He said, "Well, this is what I'm good at." And he, "Okay, they put you on doing that." We still have some of that. We have still got people from Maine that were brought up in that culture of hard-working people, and they're good people. this guy I went went around the counter I said well the guy on the end is retired from the CIA doesn't talk about it much but that's what he did and he's now retired we've got a machinist we've got a logger got the fire chief not a paid position but it's a good very responsible position to keep a volunteer fire department together, equipped, trained And be able to suppress the fire and save property and sometimes save lives. So, and then we've got a retired school teacher, a storekeeper, a guy that runs a logging truck, potato farmer, you know, all the way around, different occupations, all the way around the counter, and And they all depend on each other because in a community, you know, you want other people to be successful. We have one of the best machinists I've ever, ever known. And uh, he does some very creative things uh, because he knows the tricks of the trade. And uh, he says, you know, you can drill a 5-16 hole with a quarter-inch drill. All you have to do is, is, grind the drill, so the drill point is is 564 off-center. And you can do that. It'll follow the center of the drill. So it's, lots of tricks of the trade. And they got uh, a real estate broker, me. <laughs> but The amount of talent we've got in Maine is amazing. But nationally, we turned a corner in 1964 when Lyndon Johnson created the Grand Society, is what I call it. He called it the Great Society. But we've put trillions of dollars into the war on poverty and we'll lose it. And as Fox News said this week, the middle class is being annihilated. They have just realized this week that the middle class in our country comprises 49 and a fraction percent of the population. People are dropping out of the middle class and becoming lower class economically. There's some really decent high-class people, honorable people, hard-working people, that are falling out of the middle class because of the lack of tariffs because of things like the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership where Brunei has just as much influence as the United States of America starting to come full circle here but it's all connected so 30% of the people in our nation are worth less now financially or economically than they were ten years ago. I think it's more than that. And you know the middle class used to be two thirds of of the nation. And they define middle class as being from two thirds to, to twice the median income. The median income is, is the middle. Half the people earn more, half the people earn less. And one-fifth of all Americans are going to die in debt. 20% of Americans have no bank account. They They have a checkbook. They have no savings account. They haven't put any money away for a rainy day or save up to buy something. Instead, they go... Into debt to to buy what they wanted. they go, you want to buy a car, a lot of people used to save up. When they had enough money, they'd buy a car. In 1963, you could buy a brand new Ford pickup for $1,995. That was a, a straight six, the 306. And if you wanted a V8, well, it cost you a couple hundred dollars more for the V8, flathead V8. Now, you know, people go into debt. But the price of vehicles, new vehicles, is dropping right now because of lack of demand. price of petroleum products is dropping because of lack of demand. And you listen to Bloomberg Business and Fox Business, and it's interesting to watch these young commentators in the financial world. They're told what to say. They're told what to promote. And mom and pop are not buying stocks. It's like the travel industry. used to be that people would go to town and they'd go to a travel agent, and the travel agent would find you the cheapest airfare to get to Phoenix so you can go visit grandpa and grandma who've gone to Arizona where it's warm in the wintertime or Florida. And you got your airline ticket from a travel agent. And you take it to the airport and get on the plane. They were expecting you. You had a reservation. And go fly. Now, you get on the Internet, and there's dozens of travel services where you can buy airline tickets. Same with motels. In fact, the motel chains are gradually merging into one giant lodging reservation service somebody's going to come out on top of that, and when you pick up the, get on the internet and you want to, you want to go to a, a medium-priced motel in Portland, for example. There's dozens and dozens of motels and hotels in Portland, in the surrounding area. So if you're going to go down to Maine Mall and do your Christmas shopping, which is somewhat of a rite of ritual in the state of Maine, uh, it, uh, you can find the cheapest rate, you know, of a, of a type of motel that you want. I mean, it's not like a resort. <coughs> Excuse me, first time I've done that during this show. Happens and it's totally unanticipated. Anyway, you go down there and you're going to spend the night in the motel. Well, you're probably going to go out and have dinner, and uh, maybe do a little shopping after dinner. Go back to the motel and sleep. How much do you want to spend to sleep? All the motels today, nearly all of them, have have uh, these waffle machines down in the lobby. They have really good waffles. So you get breakfast with the motel and it's it's uh, it's an enjoyable experience. But it's a good thing they started on the main mall before Luric came in and the main land use act. And where they, you couldn't change what you wanted to do with your land without going to a planning board for permission, because where the main mall sits today used to be a pig farm, and if Farmer Jones had put his pig farm in the in the uh, farm protection program like we have the tree growth program, open space program, and the farm program, well, if he. <laughs> If he had to put his land in the farm program, the main wall would be someplace else because that land off the end of the runway down there in Portland would still be a big farm. That's what it was back in the 1950s. They're all connected. So, I saw in Bloomberg Business News this week That the price of gold is dropping off. The price of silver is dropping off. Lots of commodities are dropping off. You can buy a brand new pickup, crew cab, right now for less than you could three years ago for the same brand new pickup. Now, the price of used pickup is high. But because the middle class is shrinking so fast, in fact, Fox News says they're being annihilated. The automobile industry is having a hard time selling their vehicles because there's so few people that can actually afford them. You need a vehicle. And a lot of people buy and use vehicles, but the people that may need to manufacture these vehicles, the new ones, uh, are cutting their prices. They can afford to cut the prices. As I said earlier today, I'm on a school board. And the neighboring school needed to buy a pickup. So they they bought a, a really nice pickup, four-wheel drive, with a plow, for $12,000 less than you can buy that same pickup as a consumer. And the dealership that sold it made a profit on the sale. They made a profit on the sale of that pickup to the school district. But it would cost you and I $12,000 more than that. They bought it through the main state purchasing program. Your school district should be buying all their tires and most of their consumables through the same purchasing arrangement that the state has for their plow trucks. You know, when the state buys vehicles, they get a really good price on the vehicles and your school district should be doing the same thing. And your town should be doing the same thing. Years ago our town uh wanted to buy a new road grader. Jeez, you know, we're we're getting the roads graded for fifteen hundred dollars in the spring and fifteen hundred dollars in the in the fall by a private contractor. He's paying the insurance. He's paying the maintenance. He's paying the upkeep. He's paying the driver. You want to buy this brand-new road grader. So I said, well, I wasn't going to win that fight. So I went, and I found a road grader. It was a Minneapolis Moline road grader owned by the National Guard. They were retiring this road grader because it was 20 years old. It had hardly been used. It had brand-new rubber, had a heated cab, I mean, a, and it had a wing for all-wheel drive. We could have gotten that road grader for twelve thousand dollars. Well, thereabouts ten or twelve thousand. Oh no, we've got to have a brand new road grader. So they went out and they got a brand new road grader, and it's helpless on the ice. I mean, it's helpless. It's okay for grading the roads in the summertime, but you can't you can't wing the snow back along the side of the road. It's going to wing. But you've got to wait until they've got bare ground or bare pavement to wing it back because it's helpless on the ice. Just you, can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. There's a whole lot of ways we could economize in town and state government not being taken advantage of. I know a guy that plows snow in the wintertime, and he drives a concrete truck in the summertime, and he's employed year-round. We should not be supporting a system where this guy goes on unemployment for six months. You know, when he can't we, right now we can pour concrete, which is pretty unusual for this time of year. But when you can't pour concrete anymore, it's time to plow snow. And that's what this guy does. An entrepreneur, hard man, takes good care of his family. That's what we need. We don't need to keep funding this welfare system that was created by Lyndon Johnson back in 64. See what time it is here. Don't want to run over and have them cut me off. Oh, they're going to cut me off here in a minute. If I don't get back, let's see if I can get this sign-off done before they cut me off. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, The Conscious of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. You know, after a shooting spree, they always want to take the guns away from the people who didn't do it. Got millions and millions of 200 million Americans own firearms have trillions of rounds of ammunition none of them are going to shoot anybody today or anytime unless their home gets invaded that's why you need firearms it's to support your family, defend your family and to defend our communities and our nation you know the world respected the fact that our shoot our soldiers can shoot you ever watch a watch film of of a bunch of of uh, Muslims with AK-47s? They hold it two feet up over their head and swing it back and forth and empty a magazine, and scatter it all over the landscape. Back when I was flying helicopters in Vietnam, you know, they used to say, "Not the bullet got your name on it; you need to worry about it." It's the one that says to whom we may concern. <laughs> so this has been the Northern Mainland Man Show. I didn't get cut off. Signing off until next week. Be careful. Take advantage of this weather because there are opportunities there. Sooner or later, we'll be snowmobiling. Be safe. God bless. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him.